Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, find Philippians chapter 2. I'll tell you a scholarly way always to remember the four epistles. General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Our show is brought to you today by John Deere Tractors. If your old tractor is chugging and not getting the job done, go see our friends at the local John Deere dealership, quality equipment, they'll fix you up. You talk to Gracie, that chick knows tractors and she's pretty as a picture, she'll put you in the business world because nothing runs like a deer, can I get a witness? I want you to call the John Deere place, all right. All right, I'm gonna give you something today. Jesus said this when he walked in the earth, he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. You know what keys do? Keys get you into something. I'm going to give you the secret to the greatest life possible today. Success, blessing, happiness. I'm going to give it to you in one simple key that a fifth grader can understand. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? I thought that up by myself. I'm just going to give you the simple key to the kingdom and here it is. We're going to talk today about you going to follow Jesus or Satan. So I'm messing with neither one of them. Oh, yes, you are. Because they're messing with you, both of them. You're going to follow somebody. On this planet, you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow Satan. It's that simple. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but let me give you what the Bible calls a biblical worldview or the correct way to look at your world. Everybody sees life through different lenses, but this is a biblical worldview. You understand that everything going on on this planet, everything you can see, politics, business, religion, everything you can see is controlled by things you can't see. There is a spirit realm and that spirit realm, uh, I can't say dictates, but influences everything you see. And if you don't understand the spirit realm, you'll never understand what's going on in the physical, visible realm. And there, I know, let's go a little further. There are only two spiritual powers in the universe. Two. There are not many gods. There's one God. There are two spiritual powers in the universe. One is malevolent. One is benevolent. One is good. One is evil, one is light, one is darkness. One is headed by a man named Jesus, a God named Jesus. One is headed by a guy named Satan, Beelzebub, Lucifer, horny head, whatever you want to call him. There are two spiritual powers working in the earth. If you don't understand that, you don't understand reality. But two powers rule the earth. All right, listen to me. Both of these powers seek to influence your life. Both of these powers are influencing your life. They do it through thoughts. They do it through feelings. They do it through ideas. They do it through concepts. They do it through culture. Both of these spirits are always trying to influence your life. When the powers of hell or darkness try to influence your life, what's that called in the Bible? What's the word? Temptation. When the power of Jesus, the power of God is trying to influence your life and do things for you, what's that called? Faith. Two powers working in the earth. And you're going to follow one of the two of them. Now, if I were to say this phrase to you to show you how screwed up our thinking's been, anybody know we've been brainwashed? We need our brains washed again by the water of his word. If I were to say this to you, they are followers of Satan. And I talk about some, I say they're followers of Satan. What would come into your mind? Witchcraft? Child molestation? You might be surprised. All right, to understand these two guys, we're going to do something this morning. We're going to look in the Bible at the heart of Jesus and the heart of Satan. And the Bible lays it. I don't know if you've ever seen this before or not, but let's look at it. To begin in Philippians chapter two is the great place in the Bible. It is the greatest picture of the heart of Jesus who rules the earth. I want you to look at what it says about his heart. All right, Philippians chapter two, verse five says this. Let this mind be in you. Just pause a minute. Some Bibles say mind. Some Bibles say heart. The best word for that Greek word there is attitude. What does he say? I want you to have the same attitude, same heart attitude that Jesus had. How many of you know I want to have the heart attitude of Jesus? All right. He said, I want you to have this heart, mind, or attitude in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He said, I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to have the attitude of Jesus. And then he describes the attitude of Christ. Now, the language is sort of difficult, but we need to work through this. Verse six says this, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery, to be equal with God. Now, that's not great language. Let me help you understand this in this original context. Had this heart that Jesus had, who was every bit God Almighty, then was Jesus was not a prophet only. 
Jesus was God stepped down to earth. He created the earth, then he walked on it. Who being in the very form of God Almighty did not demand to be treated like God. That's the attitude of Jesus. By the way, you, you got bosses, uh, CEOs, presidents, kings, and then you got God Almighty. You know what the word Almighty means? You don't get no higher than that. God Almighty stepped down to this earth. He said, I want you to have this attitude. Jesus was every bit God, but he didn't demand to be treated like God. All right, the next verse describes him like this. Verse seven says this. He made himself of no reputation. Some Bibles say he laid aside his privileges. Some Bibles say this. He did not demand his rights. I don't want you to have the attitude of Christ who even though he was the creator of the universe, he didn't demand to be treated like that. He laid aside his privileges. He didn't scream for his rights. He humbled himself. Let's read the rest of it. Verse seven. And took the form of a what? Bond servant. I've never heard a mother say, I hope my child grows up to be a garbage man. You know why? Because in our culture and our thinking, that's low man on the totem pole. You know, we, we want our kids to go up and we want our kids to be somebody. Our kids just want to enjoy their lives and mama's kicking them in the butt to be somebody. But Jesus, let me make an announcement. Jesus was somebody. But what was his mind? I will become a servant. The heart of Jesus is I created the universe, but my heart is to serve people, be a servant. I don't want to be the boss. I want to be a servant. And goes a little further here, verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he just took on the appearance of a man. He, what's the word? He humbled himself, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Got it? I want you to have this attitude that Jesus had, although he was God almighty, he didn't want to be treated like God. He wanted to serve people even to the point of suffering to help people. You know what that's called? That's the attitude of Jesus. That's the heart of Christ. Now, the next verse says this. What's the first word? Therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, look back up and see what it's there for. Because Jesus had this attitude, therefore, the Bible said in verse nine, I believe it is. Yep. God has highly raised him up and given him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You get it? Because the heart of Jesus was to humble himself and serve people, God raised him up. Because Jesus chose to go down in society, God raised him up and gave him the name that's above every name. And all my God-hating professor friends who mock him in front of young people. By the way, I have a message for professors who mock God in front of students. Whoever challenges the faith of one of these little ones who believes in me, better to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown in the depth of the sea. Don't mess with young people who want to trust God. Excuse me, I got sidetracked there. Those professors will one day get on their knee and say, he is Lord. Every knee is going to bow. But tell me why Jesus will be exalted for all of eternity. Why? Because when he walked on the earth, he humbled himself to serve people. I want you to tell me the outstanding trait of Jesus' life. Some people would say love. That's the outstanding virtue. If you could put the life of Jesus in one word, what would it be? Servant. He was a servant. We in agreement? Now, all right, what does it say in verse 5 again? I want you to be like that. I want you to have the same attitude and mind and heart. I want you to think. Mind means think like. Out of your heart. I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to be the servant of people, a servant of humanity. And... Uh, because Jesus raised him up. All right, we've got another power in this universe and many people call him whatever. I just refer to him as darkness, the power of darkness that the Bible calls him or Satan. Tell me the outstanding trait of Satan's heart. Let's look at it. Turn to Isaiah 14. Let's learn something about this guy perhaps you've never known before. Isaiah is the first prophet, first big book in the Bible in the prophets. Isaiah chapter 14. This is where we learn about the prince of hell, the power of darkness. Let me make an announcement. Satan is alive and well on planet earth. Amen. And you want to know who's behind everything? Well, one verse will settle that. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. If people are having an abundant, better life, Jesus is behind it. If stuff's being screwed up, guess who's behind it? All right. 
Isaiah chapter 14 is a, is a strange passage. The Bible says this in Isaiah 14, 12. Let's learn about him. Isaiah 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Lucifer is the actual given name of Satan. When God created Satan, I, way, way back yonder, he gave him the actual proper name, Lucifer. But tell me where he fell from. He fell from heaven. So he was there at one time. O Lucifer, son of the morning, you are cut down to the ground. You who what? Who is it causing all the trouble in the nations today? You who weakened the nations. Because, the word for means here's why you got thrown down. You said in your heart, and here's the heart of Satan. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like God. All right, he was a created being. You're going to see in a minute that he, there are millions of angels working in the earth, spirit powers. At one time, they have a hierarchy, just like a military hierarchy. There were three archangels over all the angels. He was one of them. Uh, Gabriel and Michael were the other two. And I'm going to show you why in a little bit. But somehow he got it in his head that he didn't want to serve. He didn't want to just serve under God. He got in his head, I want to replace God. I want to be God. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And he wanted to replace God and he wanted to be served. He wanted to be worshiped. And uh, I want to be like God. Matter of fact, he wanted to replace God. The heart of Satan has always been for everybody to serve him and worship him. When he tempted Jesus in Luke chapter four, remember the first temptation of Jesus? What did he say to Jesus? I own everything in this world. Worship me, I'll give it to you. He's always wanted to be worshiped and adored and replace God. All right? And because of that, uh, the Bible said this, verse 15, yet you shall be brought down to hell to the lowest depths of the pit. All right, you got it? Now let's review here. Jesus was God Almighty and all he wanted to do was serve people. Therefore, God raised him up. Satan was a created being, created to serve God and serve people, but he wanted people to worship him. Therefore, God threw him down. Got it? What's the heart of Satan in one word? Not child molestation, not drugs, not perversion. What is it? I want everybody to bow down to me. I want everybody to take care of me. I want everybody to serve me. It's all about me. That's the very heart of Satan. Let me, can I throw you in something for free here? Let me, here's a little foretaste of something that's coming. Verse 8, 16. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? The Bible said one of these days in eternity, you and I are going to get looked down in the pit and see him. And we're going to be shocked when we looked at him. What are we going to say we looked at him? When we look at him, what are we going to say? That's the guy who caused me so much trouble. That punk caused me all that trouble. Why don't you go ahead and get a revelation now? He's under your feet. He's been crushed by Jesus and you need to quit letting him screw with you. Amen. Don't wait till then. Do it now. All right. Let me show you something about this guy. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. Turn to the right a few pages. You'll find Jeremiah Lamentations, Ezekiel. Little side note. I want to show you why he's done so much through music. One of his great tools in the earth has become music. He didn't create music. He stole music. God created music to bless people and glorify God, but he stole it. You're going to see why I believe the great downfall in this nation began in the 1960s and it centered around sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You're going to see his place in it right here. Uh, all right, I, excuse me, Ezekiel 28. This is a weird passage right here. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Let's read a little bit. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now watch, watch God describe Satan. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. What does the Bible say about him? He was perfect and he was beautiful. Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. He was in the presence of God originally, lived right there in front of him. The Bible said this, every precious stone was your covering or the word is appearance. And he lists them, sardius, Topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald, gold. Got that? He said, your appearance was every translucent stone. 
And if you know all those, if you know those stones, you've got emerald green, you've got ruby red, you've got bright yellow. Every beautiful color of the rainbow was his appearance. But the Bible said he was translucent. Best way you can describe the appearance of Satan is this. If you go to Italy or some of those great cathedrals have those beautiful, huge stained glass windows and those cathedrals, I mean, millions of pieces of glass and the sunlight comes through that glass and lights up that colored glass. It's, it's just beautiful. That's his appearance. He was created a translucent, colorful being and the glory of God was supposed to shine through him in great beauty. So the Bible said he was very beautiful and every color of the rainbow was his appearance. Now look at his voice. The Bible said this after it lists all those stones, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. What's timbrels and pipes? That's every instrument in an orchestra. He had the most beautiful voice in history. He could open his mouth and the sound of a whole orchestra would come out. He was created in absolute beauty to glorify God and let the beauty of God shine through him. Magnificent. But he was also created to worship God. Some Bible scholars think he was the worship leader in heaven at one time. But he could open his mouth and a whole orchestra would come out of it. He had that beautiful sound. That's why he has been the master of the perversion of music. Music is a very powerful thing to influence people. Much of the rebellion in this nation was rooted in music for years and years. And music was created by God to bless people and glorify God, not to pervert culture. But the enemies work through music as he often does. All right, so that he's beautiful and he sounds great. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. He stood right beside God at one time. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fire stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until sin was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence. <clears throat> Is Satan violent? The Bible said in Revelation 12 that he is absolutely furious and violent and angry and has come down to the earth. I love this verse right here. Knowing he has but a short time left. Talk to me. You sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of fiery stones. Your heart was, what's the word lifted up mean? Arrogant, proud. See that word pride, proud, because of your beauty, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor and I cast you to the ground. Got it? So the Bible said he was a created being. He was created to worship God, bring glory to God. He was created perhaps to lead worship. But he became so obsessed with how beautiful he was and how great he was. And he said, I should replace God. And I want people to worship me and serve me. Well, he made a great mistake on that day because he found out he was not greater and he got thrown into hell. Actually, he's in the earth right now, but he's banished to hell forever. That's why he's so angry. <clears throat> All right, got it? You go follow Jesus, you're going to follow Satan. Now, what does follow mean? Walk around behind him? Like Tim Conway, is that what it means? <laughs> no, what does it mean? You can't walk behind Jesus. He ain't here physically. What does it mean to follow somebody? Act like him. To follow somebody means act like them. We're called disciples. Listen to what Jesus said about disciples. Every disciple, when he is perfectly trained, will act just like his teacher, Jesus. Right, what it means to follow Jesus means to this. Act like Jesus. You with me? We in agreement? Y'all awake this morning? We went to fish house last night, didn't you? All right. <clears throat> what it means to follow Satan doesn't mean to walk behind him. It means to act like him. Tell me the outstanding trait of Jesus' heart. He was God Almighty, but he became a servant. Tell me the outstanding trait of Satan's heart. He was created to be a servant, but he wanted everybody to serve him. To be a follower of Jesus means I am here to serve people. To be a follower of Satan means I am on this planet for everybody to serve me. My stake is not like I want it to be. Take it back. I've been waiting six minutes. Where's my stuff? I'm looking for some man to make me happy. Good luck. I've heard girls actually say that with their mouths. I'm looking for somebody to make me happy. Why don't you find you a man you can make happy? I wasn't knocked down with male amens. Talk to me, boys. This, are you ready? Are y'all ready? 
the mindset of the heart of Satan has infiltrated America, even the American church. You know what people tell me? We're looking for a church that can meet our needs and meet our family's needs. So what's wrong with that? Why aren't you looking for a church that's struggling so you can meet somebody's needs? Subtly, this heart of Satan has captured the nation to where instead of being a people who want to serve, we want to sit on the throne and have everybody take care of us. All right, got to make a decision. Now, <clears throat> do you understand their consequences? I'll say it again. Because Jesus chose to be a servant, God raised him up and exalted him forever. Because Satan wanted everybody to serve him, God flung him down. All right, you get to make a choice. You got one of two choices in your life. It's not about being religious. It's, it's not about smoking cigarettes. Smoke them if you want to. It don't matter to me. Just don't breathe on me. Breathe. Don't, don't breathe on me. If you decide to follow Jesus, God Almighty will do for you what he did for Jesus. If you will become a servant, he will raise you up. Everybody's fighting to get their piece of the pie. Turn the pie loose. Serve people. The king will hand you the whole stinking pie. Let's read that. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. See if you agree with Jesus. Isn't that a funny question to ask people? See if you agree with Jesus. Son, we're going to stand Americana on its head this morning. This could have been entitled, The Way Up is Down. Everybody wants to go up today. You want to go up? You want to be moved up? Go down and let him raise you up. Do you want to end up on the bottom? Put yourself up and see if he can't bring you down. All right, Matthew chapter 20. Wonderful truth here. See if you agree with Jesus. Jesus explains attitudes of lands here. Matthew 20, 25 says this. Jesus called them to himself and said, you know how the rulers of lost people lord it over them and the big shots exercise authority over the little dogs. Are we in agreement? Isn't that how it works? Powerful people get to rule over the pitiful people and the bosses get to tell us what to do and everybody wants to be a boss so they can tell people what to do. Everybody wants to get promoted. Jesus stood that on his head. Look at verse 26. But it shall not be so among my people. We're not going to live like everybody else in this land lives. We're not trying to get to the top. We don't want to rule over everybody. It's not going to be so over my people. Verse 26. Whoever desires to become great among you, just stop right there. Now, I know we're in church this morning. We're going to be humble in here. America is eat up with getting to the top and being the great one. I've had no few times where mothers come to me and say, would you talk to my child? Which means you failed and you want me to try. <laughs> now, yeah, we may talk to them about <clears throat> And they, they're upset with their children because their children don't want to go to college. And, you know, they say, well, a matter of fact, a lady told me, she said, well, she wants to be this. She can do better than that. I said, what's better than that? She said, she can go to college. And, of course, I always start in on them. Tell me why she should go to college. She said, well, you know, so she can get an education. I said, yeah, I've heard they do that there. I said, why do you want her to get an education? They get a little aggravated, but I said, no, let's follow this out. Why do you want her to get an education? So they can get a good job. I said, I thought that was a good job. Brother Biggest, so they can, go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. Make money. And I said, well, why do you want them to get a good job and make a good living? So they can buy stuff. And I, I keep waiting for him to tell me a reason why I should talk to that child. You know what I think? I should talk to the mother and tell the mama, leave that child alone. How many miserable millionaires do I know that are overweight, divorced, pathetic, but they got a million? How many happy farmers do I know that are making $400 a week and enjoying their lives? One of my favorite proverbs says this, better to live in a 30-year-old broke-down trailer eat tomato sandwiches out of your garden every night with a woman that loves you and is happy than to live in a million dollar mansion, eat prime rib every night with a woman got the temperament of a pit bull going through menopause. <laughs> you don't believe that's in there. Look it up. I may not say it just like that, but it's in there. How long will we keep eating this American dream that it's all about having more stuff? It is not about stuff. All right. The Bible said this, you've got to make a decision. If you follow Jesus, what did Jesus say? Don't think like the rest of your culture thinks. You want to be great in my kingdom? Serve people. You go to the bottom and then let him say one more thing here. 
Verse 27, whoever desires to be first among you, you want to be the big shot, you be the slave of people. You serve people. Instead of wanting to get to that top office and uh, impress your boss where you work at, tell me how you treat the male lady. Tell me how you treat the security guard when you go in. Why don't you help the janitor pick that trash up? You say, I'm, I'm middle management. You, you can do it. Bend over at the waist. You can do it. It's not hard. You know why we should have this attitude? Let's read the last verse there, verse 28. Just as Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life to help people. Followers of Jesus are servants. Followers of Satan are rulers. It's that simple. Very simple. And uh, he, he raises this up, right? A little further. Turn two pages to the right to Matthew 23, 11. Matthew 23, 11 says this. Now, you're fixing to look at one of the great principles of all of life. And he's going to show it to you here. He goes a little further about this servant thing. Verse 11 says this. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. We don't think like that, do we? You know, we got this thing now called goats. You don't know what a goat is? Where I'm from, a goat's got horns and grunts. But goat now, they were talking about goat on the Olympic last night. Greatest of all time. Greatest quarterback of all time. I think it's funny that they're called goats. One of these days, God Almighty is going to hold trial. He's coming back. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible said he's going to say who is the greatest of all time. You're going to be shocked. You know why you're going to be shocked? What do you say right there? Let's read it. Let's read that again. Verse 11. He who is greatest will end up being a servant. <clears throat> when we have the award ceremony, there's going to be one eternal award ceremony and God's going to hand out trophies to the greatest of all time. Ain't going to be who we thought. You know who it's going to be? It's going to be a little woman who was a farmer's wife who never got out of high school, who loved her husband, cared for her children, taught the third grade Sunday school class in No Hope Number no. 9 Baptist Church down there in Hogsnot, Arkansas. <laughs> Nobody ever knew her name, but she served people. She will be at the top of the pile. What do you think it means when Jesus said, in that day, the first will be made last and the last will be made first? We need a complete reversal in the way we think about life and the way we think about where I'm headed. Let's read one more verse there. Verse 12. Here's the principle. Whoever, uh, let's pause for a minute. Guess what God Almighty means when he says whoever. Whoever exalts himself will be what? Somebody say the word. The, now humbled is the Greek word. It's a different Greek word that means put down. Did Satan not exalt himself? Did God bring him down a notch? Right, whoever does that, watch this. Here's the wonderful words. But anybody that humbles himself, now listen to me, humility doesn't mean to go to a thrift store and buy ugly clothes and walk around looking pitiful. That's not humility, that's stupidity. What did the Bible say? What is humility? Jesus humbled himself and became a servant. It simply means I'm not the big dog here. I'm here to serve people. I'm here to help people. That's what, that's what humility is. Let's finish reading that. Whoever humbles himself will be what? Raised up by God. Dear ones, quit fighting for your place. Look for a chance to serve people. He who rules everything will raise you up and put you in a place. You don't need to take care of yourself. Promotion comes neither from the east, the west, or the south. The Lord God Almighty, he raises one up, he can put one down. Trust him. It's called meekness. Let him do that. So you get to follow whoever you want to. Now, one of my hobbies is to aggravate religious people. I, I do certain things just to aggravate religious people. Because they need aggravating. I learned it from Jesus. He's really good at it. He just loves to aggravate religious people. And uh, we're fixing to bust religious people. If you, if you decide you want to follow Satan, it simply means act like him. Listen, listen to me. Here's what it all boils down to. It's not your position in the company. You can be the chairman of a big company and be a servant. Or you can be the guy who sweeps the floor and think you King Farouk. You know who King Farouk is? I keep forgetting y'all young. It's right here. See this right here? It's the heart. It's all about the heart. Let's look at the heart of religion. Luke chapter 18. This is one of the strangest passages in the Bible. And you talk about busting church folks. 
this is a weird passage right here. And once again, it's talking about the way up is down, the way down is up. If you want to go up, do this. You want to go down, do this. Not hard. All right, Luke chapter 18 is this great passage. Jesus tells this to a particular group of people and they are religious people. I want you to look what he's got to say to them. Luke 18, 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised other people. Got it? Who's he telling this story to? People who look down their noses at other people because they think they're better than other people are. Do we have a problem with that in this land today? Who's the worst group about it? Go ahead and say it. Church folks of the worst in the world look down their nose at other people because they drink that old whiskey. Bunch of sluts. He's talking to you here, sunshine. Verse 10. This won't mean nothing to you, but it, this hit them in the face like a buzzard gut. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple of the church to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. That don't mean nothing to you because you don't live in that culture. Pharisee put, Pharisee simply meant, now see, Pharisee's got a bad connotation today. It didn't then. It simply meant local minister. Pharisee, local minister. Local minister going to church to pray. That makes sense where they go to pray. Who's the tax collector? That is the absolute despised human being. We don't have anything at that level in our culture. Tax collectors were below child molesters. They were hated worse than child molesters. Because often in that culture, and that day and you read it in the Bible, people called people sinners and tax collectors. You were below child molesters. A tax collector was, that's not like an IRS agent. My God, they're great. It was a tax collector back then. The, the, the Romans had captured Jerusalem, Israel. They were ruling Israel. And they were taking money from Israelis and mailing it to Rome to build their great cities. Well, these taxes, they had to be collected by somebody there were people, Jewish citizens, who actually signed up to collect the taxes. And if you sign up to be a tax collector, you got assigned a Roman soldier and you went door to door and you demanded the tax. These people hated the Romans and you had turned on your brother and you were collecting the taxes and you could ask for anything you wanted to. And you sent Rome their portion and you got to keep some. That's why they were all rich. And you talk about hating somebody's guts. You turned against your God. You turned against your land. This would be like Russia taking over America and your neighbor goes around collecting money from you, forcing you to give it to him so he can mail some to Russia and live on the rest. They were despised. All right, Jesus said this. Two people go to pray, a local minister and the tax collector. What happens in their mind immediately? That tax collector don't stand a chance of a snowball in hell. They're so angry at this tax collector. Who's he telling this story to? People who thought they were better than other people. You'll see something weird. Watch this. <clears throat> Verse 11. The Pharisee, the minister, stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I am so glad I'm so good. And he lists extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. So that tells me what? He's praying with his eyes open. And he says, God, I just want to thank you that I'm better than other people. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not at all like him. I'm better than him. Is that not what he said? Let me ask you a question. Is he telling the truth? Absolutely. He was better than them. Wasn't he? He wasn't an extortioner. He wasn't an adulterer. This man never stole from his people. He's telling the truth. So what's the problem? Well, it goes a little bit further. Let's read this. Verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all my income. That's good. Now, I tithe my income, but I promise you, I don't fast two days a week. How many of y'all go two days a week without eating just to pray? Not one out of all y'all? Well, I don't do it neither. Don't feel bad about yourself. This man was such a devout follower of God. He gave income. He gave, tithe, he gave his tithes. He fasted twice a week. Has he told a lie yet? No, he's telling the truth. What's the problem? I am better than other people. That's the problem. All right, watch this. Let's shift gears. The tax collector, verse 13, this, he is a sinful man. Standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. He beat on his, hitting himself in the chest saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Was he telling the truth? He was a sinner. He was a great sinner. Now tell me, which one of them two did God hear the prayer of? 
Now you talk about standing religion on his head. Watch what Jesus said, verse 14. I tell you, the, the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. What does justified mean? Forgiven, cleansed, accepted as a child of God. You ready for this? The man who was a crook and a thief and a scoundrel was cleansed and made a child of God. The preacher went to hell. You can't go to heaven unless you're justified. The great man went to hell. The sinful man went to heaven. Had nothing to do with their action. What was it all about? An attitude. It was an attitude, a hard attitude. Tell me the heart of that sinful man. I'm not worthy. I'm not great. I'm nobody. What was the heart of that preacher? I am somebody. I am hot stuff, buddy. This is the spirit. What was the spirit that got Satan cast out of heaven? Pride. You were lifted up and thought you was somebody. Now here's the principle again. Let's read it. Verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. There's that word. Everyone, everyone. You say, I don't believe in God. You're still everyone. Who exalts himself will be brought down. What's this? But he who humbles himself, God Almighty is going to raise you up. You humble yourself. You live to serve people. You get off your high horse, quit thinking you a hot shot, and you just live to serve people. God Almighty will raise you up. He'll do for you what he did for Jesus. Bring you up and bless you. Now listen, you, you can be a great in your title and still serve people. I'll give you an example. I have a friend named Frank Harrison. Frank is the chairman of Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola Consolidated, the number one recognized brand in the entire world. There's no brand that's recognized more on this earth than Coca-Cola. You can go to the mountains of Tahiti and say Coca-Cola and they'll nod. <laughs> Frank's a multi-millionaire, got thousands of people working for him. Frank was going to come speak at a men's conference here for us a few years ago. And uh, Frank don't fly in on, he's got a personal airplane. He don't fly in on one of them little tiny Lear jets. Frank flies in on a 737 by himself. So Frank came here early and I had to come over to the auditorium and check on something with a sound guy. And I walked in, I was talking to the sound guy back in that corner back there. And uh, there was a guy down here and he was walking up and down the road, clean, picking up trash. And I thought he must be one of the new ushers. And then I went around a little bit later, went in to get ready to go in the service to meet Frank. And it was him. The chairman of Coca-Cola got there early. So rather than sit around and wait on somebody to wait on him, he just came in and started cleaning the auditorium up. You know what that is? That is a man who had a servant's heart. I get once in a while, we'll have these little third rate Southern gospel. We don't do more. Want to come sing for us. And I get letters from them. They expect a rental car waiting for them at the airport, Buick or better. <laughs> they send that to a man who drives a 26 year old wore out county work truck. Buick or better. They want fresh fruit in their hotel room when they get there. They want Perrier in the refrigerator and they want fresh flowers in there when they get there. I normally just write cancel across that and mail it back to them. <laughs> Why would I want somebody with the heart of Satan singing in my church? I want people with the heart of Frank who say, I don't want nobody bowing down to me because I'm the chairman of Coca-Cola. I'm here to help people. I maybe know that man don't need to work anymore. He does what he does just to help. You can be the big dog and be a servant. Jesus was the big dog. Can I get a witness? Jesus is the eternal big dog, but he served people. Satan was a little dog, but he wanted to be served. And you see the end result there. Please listen to me. Our nation's caught up in a terrible fight right now. Everybody fighting for their piece of the pie. Quit fighting for your piece of the pie. Serve people. He will hand you the whole pie. You want to hear it? All right, the greatest sermon ever preached on how to live on this planet was called the Sermon on the Mount. That sermon won't get you into heaven. It'll get heaven into you on this planet. Sermon on the Mount is how to live on this planet. It's founded in a group of sayings called the Beatitudes. You ever heard of the Beatitudes? They are, they are properly called the Be Happy Attitudes because that's what it means. You want to be happy? Have this attitude. What's the foundational Beatitude? Blessed are the meek. God does things for the meek Blessed are the meek, he will hand them the whole world. You know what meek is? Now, meek is not weak. Matter of fact, if you're weak, you can't be meek. Meekness is power restrained. Meekness is power held back. Meek is when you choose not to exercise your authority, you wait. You're not marching, 
you're not demanding, you're not screaming, you're not trying to figure out. You just serve people and say, if he wants me to have it, he'll give it to me. What does the Bible say God does for people that wait on him and trust him? Blessed are the humble and the meek. He gives them the whole world. What was you looking for? He gives them the whole, he gave Jesus the whole universe because he humbled himself to become a servant. All right, we've got a happiness problem in the nation right now, I hear. Got a lot of people that are unhappy. I'm fixing to open the Bible and show you why, contrary to popular opinion. CNN is wrong. I said CNN is wrong. You just stared at me. Go ahead. Fox is wrong. Ain't nobody left, is there? All right, let me help you. I know what you think. I can hear you. Yo, I'm a prophet. I can hear. You think, but you don't know the idiots I work with. You don't know that fool I'm married to. Okay, let's talk about serving fools and idiots for a minute. Are you ready? Turn to John chapter 13. I'm going to show you the most amazing passage in the Bible with the exception of the cross. This is the most shocking passage in the Bible except for where Jesus dies on a cross for people who don't deserve it. I will never understand why the creator of this universe, a perfect man, would let them do what they did to him for me. I'll never figure that out. I'll never stop believing it, but I'll never understand it. This is the second most amazing passage in the Bible. This is the timeline of Jesus dying. He's already told him, tomorrow I get killed. I'm going to let him kill me. He said, I'm going to let them kill me. He said, no man takes my life from me. I've got authority whether it goes down or not. He said, I'm, I'm letting them kill me. I choose to lay my life down. And he said, I wanted to eat dinner with my friends one more time before I died. He loved people. He still does. But John 13 is where he's doing that. Verse, chapter 13, verse 1. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew his hour had come to die. He would depart the world. He loved his own, loved him to the end. Verse 2, supper being ended, that's the last supper, the devil put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, stab him in the back. All right, verse 4, Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, poured water into a pan, and began to wash the disciples' feet with the towel he'd wrapped around himself. You got it? Man's fixing to die. He has his last dinner, and all of a sudden, he just gets up from the table and uh, he wore a teaching coat to identify you as a teacher. He took it off. He gets a towel, wraps it around his waist, <clears throat> gets a pan of oil, and just starts going around the room just washing dusty feet off. Now, this was, this was not a religious tradition. Churches didn't do this. Does anybody know why he did this? It's good. This is real. Now, this is deep. Stay with me. Why did he wash their feet? They were dirty. They were dirty. He's just sitting there. If you were fixing to get killed tomorrow and you knew it, what would be on your mind? Is it going to hurt? Can I get out of it? Who's going to help me? What was on the mind? Well, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ. What was on his mind? Their feet are dirty. God Almighty could have called a servant and said, wash their feet. He could have called the janitor and said, clean this up. He could have called somebody and said, clean up on aisle eight. He got up. He got some water and he just went around, took that towel, just no big deal. Just clean the dust off. You know why? Because it would be refreshing to have your feet clean. You know why he did that? That was his heart. That's his attitude. That's how he lived. <clears throat> Ran into a little problem with the head man. Verse six, came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you won't understand, but you'll understand it later. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Oh, Simon, you look right here. I understand it. Simon knew by now. They didn't know to start with. They thought this guy was a great prophet. They know now that's God right there. That's God standing among us. They're sitting here. Do you understand Simon's problem? I do. I'm a sinful man and this is God Almighty. He's raising the dead. He's walking. And God is getting on his knees in front of me. I can't have God on his knees in front of me. Who am I that God would get down there and wash my feet? I can't take this. I understand what he's thinking. I, I, I tell him the same thing. Let me wash yours. 
But Jesus said, no, no. And Jesus said to him, he said, uh, Simon said, you can't wash mine. Verse, verse 10, Jesus said to him, uh, I'm sorry, verse eight, Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, you don't let me wash you, you can't walk with me. Then if you don't let Jesus help you, you're not going to make it. He didn't call you to be tough. He calls you to come to him. And he showed me in particular, the Holy Spirit showed me on this verse right here. You've been saved. He told Simon, Simon well, Simon said, then wash my head and my hands too. Oh, bless his heart. Once we're in, we're in, buddy. And Jesus said to Simon, he who is already bathed doesn't need to be rebathed, just needs your feet washed. Got it? Well, what a beautiful picture. Anybody ever screwed up? We walk through this world, we pick up junk and dirt. We come to Jesus. We say, Lord, I need to be saved. He said, no, you done been saved. You just need to let me clean this mess up. We just need to keep coming back to him when we get junk on us walking through this world. And uh, Jesus said in verse 11, he knew, verse 10, he said, just need to be clean. You're not all clean. He knew he'd betray him. Verse 12, he washed their feet, took his garments, sat down again, said to them, do you understand what just happened in this room? You know what I just did to you? You call me teacher, Lord, you say, well, I am. I've heard people actually say, Jesus never claimed to be God. What Bible are you reading? If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, I want you to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example. I want you to do as I've done to you. Then he said this, verse 16. Most assuredly, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than him who sent him. Let me ask you a question. Are you greater than God? Take your time and answer. Think about it. Are you greater than God? I'd go sort of slow answering that if I was you. Can I walk around behind you for a few days and see? Fellow not recently, he was whining about this and whining about that. I said, Bubba, your problem is you want to be treated, you want to be treated better than God was. Come down a little bit. Who in the world has some of the worst problems with wanting to be above God? Church folks. Jesus said, listen, if I've done it, you can do it. He said, you're not above me. I want you to serve people. One of my, I think some of the worst people in the world is preachers. They love to be exalted. They love to be recognized. Got this title problem going on with preachers now. I got a letter not long ago from the right Reverend Dr. Tempe Fussell. I'd, if my name was Fussell, I'd change it. <laughs> well, a friend said to me one time, he, I said, I said, how you doing? I hadn't seen him. Yet. I said, Bubba, how you doing? He said, it's, it's Dr. Bubba now, Brother Beggars. <laughs> I said, I wish you hadn't said that. <laughs> I wish you hadn't said that because now I got to go in preaching mode. If the son of the living God tells me to call him by his first name, for his name shall be called Jesus. That's what the Bible says. I'm sorry, I can't put you above Jesus Christ. You got to come right back down here with the rest of us. You just bubble to me. We need to get off of it and humble ourselves and become like Jesus. All right, here's the last verse. This is great. Verse 13. Excuse me, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you practice them. See the word blessed? Greek word makaris, also translated what? What's the word we get from that word? Happy. You want to be happy? Do what I just told you to do. If you read verse 17, read the whole passage, read verse 17. If you're looking for happiness, you know how to find it now. You don't need to be made the boss to be happy. You don't need more money to be happy. How many miserable millionaires do I know? You don't need her. You don't need your old lady to get right so you can be happy. You need to serve people if you want to be happy. You want to find true happiness? Serve people. I just gave you the key to the kingdom of life right there. I don't care whether you're a general, a CEO, or a garbage truck driver. You can find your happiness by doing like Jesus and serving people. And let me make an announcement. There's 330 million opportunities just in this nation. You want to have fun in your life? You want to enjoy your life? Get up every morning of your life saying, this is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to rejoice, be glad in it. I'm going to serve everybody I see today. Everybody you cross can be served. When you go in a restaurant, do not expect that girl to wait on you. What can you do for her? When you go to get gas and it's taking time and that girl's stumbling around, she don't know what she's doing. Don't get pissed off. And don't get pissed off because I said piss in your fancy church either. (laughs) 
You ask yourself, 16-year-old kid trying to get through high school, make a little bit of money, how can I lighten her load a little bit? I love to finally get up there and they're upset. People have been ugly to them and I tell them, you're doing a fine job. Somebody needs to give you a raise around here. I'm fixing to go off the deep end. Are you ready? You can serve people in the house you live in. You can get many amens today, Jesus. You think I got the wrong message here? I understand that they tell me we're having a happiness problem in the nation. Public pollsters tell us happiness is at an all-time low in the nation. I know why. They tell us it's because of the pandemic, economics, injustice. No, happiness is at an all-time low in this nation because Jack Astridliness is at an all-time high. It's just hard to keep 330 kings happy. It's hard to keep 330 little gods happy. You have no trouble at all keeping 330 servants happy. Can I do a shout out for public school teachers? Who should get combat pay? You know why teaching public schools is so hard? It's just hard to work with 28 little God juniors. And then their mama show up. To hell with all the other students, my bow regards to be central in this room. You should get combat. You should go to heaven at 30. It should be on. How many of you young people? We got some young people. How many young people love it when people like me say, when I was a boy? How many of y'all like that? I'm fixing to say it. When I was a boy, my daddy told me, you give that teacher trouble, I'll tell you, you'll butt up when you get home. I know you don't believe it. Take my word for it. It was there. That's my shout out for public school teachers. Let me tell you something. To get back to where I want to live and serve people. You have never had more fun than when you try to light people's day up. Most of the serving we do is not what You don't need to wash people's feet today. Guess why? Come on, y'all. They took a bath and they got shoes on. They don't need the feet washed. Most of our serving today is with words. Most, more people need encouragement than need their feet washed today. More people need a, listen to this, a good word in due season is like cold water on a hot day. Weariness in the heart depresses people. A good word raises it up. Most of our serving is done with a good word. All right, we want to find happiness. We want to serve people. Let me quit by saying this. I'm going to follow Jesus. <clears throat> I'm going to start by, by saying this. I don't want to become spiritual. I don't want to become religious. I don't need a big cross around my neck or a bumper sticker on my car. I ain't going to put a honk if I love Jesus bumper sticker on my truck because you honk, I'll give you the finger and we'll all be in trouble. Anyway. <laughs> then I'll have to repent for wanting to be there. I want to own the road, but the whole road's mine. Get out of the way. Yes, sir. There's that spirit of Jesus. Let me tell you what the deal is. Start right where you're at with what you got. And he who is faithful in the little things, you don't have to fight, will be made ruler over the big things. Tell you one story, and I'm done. One of my favorite stories in all time. Years ago, in the country of Albania, which was a war-torn country, a little girl grew up in a very Christian home. They loved God desperately, loved God very much in her home. She said, "We struggled to eat." You, me, and you don't know nothing about that. I got a note early this morning from a friend in another country, and he said, "The battle here is just to know what I get to eat." He said, "Americans know nothing about this." He said, "You." He said, "In America, you're." Your poor people are overweight. Explain that to me. He said, these people here wake up every day. Will I eat today or not? And their sole battle is to find enough to eat. Well, she grew up like that, very poor. But she loved God. When she became an older teenager, she decided she wanted to give her life to God to help people. So she, her particular faith at that time, she joined the convent. She became a nun. And she said, I'll give my life to God. I want to help people as a nun. She wanted to be a missionary. So she was sent to the country of India such poverty and she saw the pain and you and I have never seen it our worst live good here but the poverty and the pain and the disease and the heartache but they were so poor themselves she said we didn't have enough food just for the convent just for the nuns we didn't have enough food we didn't have any to give away we had no tools no money nothing we could help people with and she said I prayed constantly I want to help these people but I don't have anything to help them with 
And she said, God spoke to me one day. She said, I know he did. And he said to her the same thing he said to an old man 2,800 years earlier. He said to her, what's that in your hand? She said, and in my hand, I had a little stick, not a walking stick, but a little four foot slender stick. And I carried it when I walked, not like this, but I just carried it. And he said, what's that in your hand? She said, I can't feed him the stick. And he didn't speak to me. And I knew he was saying something to me. And I thought, how do I help people the stick? And she was walking later that day and she saw the kids in the open marketplace just doing nothing and playing in the dirt. And it came to her and she gathered them all up. She put them on a little embankment there in the shade and she took that stick and she began to write in the dirt and draw pictures and she began to teach those urchins. You didn't have school then, no public schools. She began to teach those urchins how to write. And she started her school right there. Every day the kids would come sit on that bank and she'd write in the dirt. They, their parents came. She taught them how to write. Of course, guess which book she taught them how to write out of? And she would teach them about Jesus, teach them how to write. She educated. That's where school started. She's so excited. She said, I found something I can help people with, my stick. And of course, you know the end of her story. Tell me her name. Mother Teresa. By the time she died as an 80-year-old Albanian nun in India, presidents and world dignitaries came to her funeral and she'd raised up thousands and thousands of orphans. Her home for her leper, I've got a picture on the wall up there of my daughter in her leper colony in India with her arm around one of the leper ladies. And she saved so many lives, redeemed so many people, known the world over for helping people. A poor little girl with almost no education and a stick. But she had the heart of Jesus. I'm going to serve people with what I got. And she started right where she was, raised her up. She came to America one time and addressed the national prayer breakfast and lovingly rebuked our president right to his face there and said, stop killing your babies. If you don't want them, send them to me. I'll raise them. We'll take care of them. And this little nun who was so humble and so gracious, God raised her up, not because she was a rock star. She never spoke well but because she just wanted to serve people. And I'd say she had a pretty good life and I'd say she made a big crash in the world. Amen. Let me tell you something. You got opportunities all around you. Serve people. Now I'm, I'm going to say it again. I'm sure enough, I'm done. This is my final clip. Watch it, watch it, watch it. Done. <laughs> done now. Get your mind off yourself. Ah, ah. I'm going to quote it again. When the Bible said, this is the heart of Satan. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be raised up. I will be like God. Tell me what Satan's problem was. He had eye trouble. He couldn't get his mind off himself. It was all about him. What was on the heart of Jesus Christ right before he was fixing to be murdered? Your feet are dirty. Let me wash them. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. He was God Almighty but he lived to help people. You want to have the best life possible? Forget everything else. You live your life to help people. And he'll parade them in front of you and you'll have more, you'll have more opportunities than Carter's got liver pills. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you so much. Where did we get off the rails? What happened in the American church that we thought it was about figuring out who the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns is in Revelation. Where did we get that from? Why do we have to get into all this deep, spooky, sophisticated stuff when the entire world is screaming out, does anybody care about me? Will somebody look at me? Will somebody talk to me? You did not come to impress people. You came to serve people. I pray in the name of Jesus, everybody in this room make a decision this morning. Sing that great song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I, I don't know what else we need to learn. But dear Jesus, I know this. When I quit trying to be religious and I decided I'm going to help everybody I see today, life had an instant upgrade and every day with Jesus is now sweeter than the day before. And this is the greatest day of my life. And I just pray for everybody in this room to simply decide to follow Jesus. All right, dear Jesus, I'm going to give them a chance to get in on your show. I'm going to give them a chance right in this room right now to become children of the living God. I pray for those that look down their noses because they're great, wonderful people that us sinners, that even they can repent and get on the other side right now. 
I just pray draw people to yourself, Lord Jesus. All right, dear friends, we're praying. You've never decided to follow Jesus. You've never become a child of God. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. No in between. Why don't you change teams this morning and follow Jesus? He loves you. That man died for you and he proved it. What's the devil ever done for you? Why don't you follow Jesus? Right there where you're at, with your heart like a child. Pray a simple childlike prayer. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, say this with me. Dear Jesus, in your heart. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross to help me. I believe you're coming back to this earth one day. I want to follow you. From this day forward, I belong to you. I commit myself to you. Today I receive you into my heart as my Savior, my Lord, and the lover of my life. Dear Jesus, I don't understand it all, but if you'll teach me, I'll follow you from this day forward. I pray this best I know how in the precious name of Jesus. If you prayed that prayer in your minute, raise your hand real high where I can see it. Put them way up. Thank you. Put those down. I give you all the praise and glory. Lord Jesus, it is so simple. We're either going to follow you or we're going to follow that other guy. We'll follow you to the blessed life of servanthood and glory forever or we'll follow him to anger and frustration and hell forever. I don't know why anybody would be on the other team. But I'm going to praise you and thank you that I could come just as I am without one plea. I always love that song. Be glorified. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're going to give everybody in here plenty of opportunities this week to serve greatly in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.